Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Thank you very much for joining me on today's show. And I've got two quick things to talk about before we get to our listener questions and answers. First of all, I want to let you guys know that there's a new section of EssentialTennis.com that has just gone up in the, in the last day or so, and it is EssentialTennis.com slash clinics. It's also up in the main menu and all of the, the headers of the website. And in this section of the website, you guys can see which clinics are upcoming, their locations, the price, descriptions, etc. And go check it out. The Nebraska clinic, which is coming up in March, is the only one listed there right now. I'm going to have more added pretty soon. But you can sign up for the Nebraska clinic there. There's only 12 spots available. So definitely check it out and sign up if you think that you'd like to make it. Next up, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about something that's available on the website, and that is the option for donations. And I don't like asking for money. I I don't like that at all. But I'll be honest, it it would really help me out a lot as I do more and more on the website. Some regular donations would really be helpful. And this is a way that a lot of big-name podcasters support what they're doing is through donations from listeners And I I would just like to ask you guys to consider donating to Essential Tennis. And it doesn't have to be much. In fact, $5 a month, a reoccurring donation, would would really be appreciated a lot. If you guys go to EssentialTennis.com and go to the front page, on the bottom right, there's a link that says Donate. You guys can check it out there. But there's an option for $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, or a one-time donation donation as well of an amount of your choosing. But I would just ask you guys if if the podcast has helped you, if it's made a difference in your game, if you've improved your tennis game because of the website or because of the podcast, please consider giving a donation. And especially a monthly one would really help me out a great deal. Tennis lessons usually are 50, 60, sometimes $70 an hour. And I do two hours of audio instruction free every month. So we're you know, talking about $120 if you were to go out and take two-hour private lessons a month. Now, obviously, the podcast is not the same thing as, as private instruction. But I think $5 a month for two hours of instruction is a, a pretty darn good deal. So, so please consider that. And I, I would appreciate it very much if you were to be on board and, and support me with a, a small donation each month. All right, let's go ahead and get to today's show. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, our first question that I'm going to answer for today comes to us from Maya. And Maya, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. It's M-A-Y-I-A. And for location, she just gives USA. So hopefully I'm, I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I, I really apologize. But I'm going to go with Maya uh, for the show. And she wrote to me with the following question. 
This may be a question that would not apply to many. However, I am interested of your opinion on keeping in practice two types of forehands, single and double-handed. In the last year and a half, I have been working exclusively on my new single-handed forehand, but I can hit double-handed as well. However, it needs to be practiced as everything else. I think that the double-handed option keeps opponents surprised, and it is an asset I should not lose. It is also kind of fun to have more options. What is your opinion? She also says, P.S., I don't know if this will play a role, but the backhand is my stronger side. All right, Maya, good question. And this is my opinion. I I don't think that what I'm going to tell you here is necessarily written in stone. I mean, nothing I really say on the podcast is written in stone. Some things maybe more than others. But my opinion of this is, and there's kind of a, a overused cliche that I, I think describes this well, at least my opinion and my, my viewpoints, but I don't believe most of the time in having too many irons in the fire, so to speak, and having a lot of different things going at once if it's not really necessary. In my opinion, you want to have a good feeling of cohesiveness You want to have confidence when you walk out and and you're running to go hit a forehand. In my opinion, you want to be as reliable and confident as possible every time you hit a forehand. And I think the best way to do that is to practice with the same swing again and again. Now, it's good to have options. For example, I like for players to have a slice and a topspin or, or drive swing on each side. And this is for offense or for defense. And to play a variety of different shots, like a drop shot or an attacking shot, etc. I mean, it, don't get me wrong here. I, I don't want you guys to be, to be one-dimensional. And I don't want you to be overly predictable, where your opponent always knows exactly what you're going to do. But on the other hand, I feel like with using either one or two hands on your forehand side, you should be able to come up with a wide variety of different shots just within that one stroke without having to, to use a completely different technique in stroke. And, and by the way, there is a vast difference between a one-handed and a two-handed forehand. It might seem like they're you know, basically the same thing if you're hitting both with topspin and they're both on the right side of your body. It might seem like they're very similar shots, but really, when it comes to using your body, they're very, very different. And so, for the purpose of being able to develop your game, I would much rather that you just pick one and go with it. A lot of times, students ask me uh, when they're first coming out for a lesson with me, and, and maybe they're beginners, a lot of times students ask me which they should use on their backhand side, one-handed or two-handed backhand. And I always have students that have questions like that. I I have them try both in front of me, and I I watch them hit both. And we decide together which one is most comfortable and feels most natural to them. And then I very strongly encourage them to stick with it and allow it to develop and improve and become, again, I like the word cohesion, cohesiveness or to become a cohesive part of their game, something that just becomes second nature and something that they don't have to think about which one to use. I, I like players to have a, a go-to shot. And and so for that reason, I, I would encourage you to, to pick one or the other, Maya. 
Now, you say that your your backhand is your stronger side, and I can't help but wonder if maybe this has something to do with it. And Maya says that she's a 3.5 player, and I don't know how long you've been playing for, Maya, and I, I don't know also if you also switch between a one-handed and two-handed backhand, but I, I can't help but wonder if switching on your forehand side back and forth has something to do with the fact that your backhand is your more confident side. The vast majority of tennis players prefer their forehand side be, because it's their dominant side, and it's just the side that usually they're most coordinated on and just most comfortable with. And so for that reason, the vast majority of players would rather hit a forehand than a backhand. So you're a little bit different in this regard. And it's not that no players prefer their backhand. That's not true at all. But enough, a large enough percentage prefer their forehand that I can't help but wonder if this switching back and forth has something to do with you preferring your backhand side. Now, if you've always had the same backhand, I, I, I kind of have to assume that this does have, have something to do with it. Uh, if you've always been switching back and forth on both sides, then maybe you're just most natural on your backhand side. But I've never seen you play, and I'm not sure how long you've been playing or what the details are, so I, I can't be positive. I, I'm kind of guessing on this. But the bottom line is, Maya, if, if you were my student, I, I would have you pick one and stick with it because, in my opinion, it's going to be much easier for you to advance one stroke on your forehand side than it is going to be to have two different strokes on your forehand side and try to advance and improve both of them at the same time. It just adds more things for you to work on. It adds a layer of complexity that I don't think is necessary. And you talk about keeping your opponents surprised and uh, catching them off guard. This is something that really probably has a much lesser effect on your opponents than you probably think. At, at a 3-5 level, your opponents probably aren't even noticing much when you switch and go from one hand to two. It's probably not even a big enough difference that most of your opponents are even noticing. And even if they do, I don't think it's something where they're going to be like, oh, wow, she just hit with two hands instead of one. And like lose concentration and miss the next shot or, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and even if they do, this is probably somebody that you were going to beat anyway. And even if you do beat them because of that, that's that's an effect that's really going to go away after a while. Once you get up to 4-0 and 4-5, uh, the, the novelty you know, factor it really is going to wear off and, and players are probably going to start picking on that shot because uh, th they'll see that you're not quite sure which one you're using that day. So anyway, those are my thoughts, Maya, and and again, my opinion. If you know, if both are advancing quickly, go ahead and stick with it if you'd like to. But if if you were taking lessons from me, I would definitely try to get you to stick with one or the other, so that we could really improve that one shot. Good luck with your game, and definitely let me know how you're doing. And I'd be curious to see what you decide to do and how it's working out as well. Best of luck with that. All right, next up we have a question from Matt in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Matt wrote to me and said, My question has to deal with staying sharp in the offseason. I've made a lot of strides in my game this year, and I'd like to start off strong when spring, when spring rolls around. I cannot afford to join the local club, but I was going to take a lesson or two. 
Beyond that, are there any drills that I can do, even down in my basement, against the wall? I have a good amount of room that I might be able to work on certain aspects of my game. Matt has a, a second question as well. I'm going to answer this one first. Well, Matt, it, it kind of depends on exactly how much space you have. And I, I remember back when when I was a kid and my family didn't have a lot of money either. So I actually did this myself in my basement. We had a cinder block wall down in our basement. And I remember moving uh, laundry lines. My mom used to hang laundry down in the in the basement. So I would, I, I would move those out of the way. And I probably had, uh, I would say, probably 12 or 15 feet square. So not a lot of room. And, and what, what I would do down in the basement off the wall was, was basically practice with a continental grip and hit slice-type shots or, or volley-type strokes. And I, I, I was able to hit off of the wall and have it rebound back to me in the air and practice my volleys. And I would also practice half volleys off the wall, again, with a, a continental grip. And I would just kind of, I really just had enough room that I could kind of punch the ball forward. So the ceilings were pretty low as well. Uh, so I, I just didn't really have a whole lot of room. So I, I would practice compact type shots. And this was still good practice. I mean, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't like hitting against a an actual backboard on, on a tennis court. But I could still work on my eye-hand coordination and my, my concentration. And I, I feel like it was good practice and it was worthwhile. Now, if you have enough room to make a full swing at the ball, that's awesome. And that totally changes things. If, if you have a high enough ceiling that you can make a full ground stroke swing, and and not the and not hit the ceiling. And if you have enough room to to make a full ground stroke swing and have it rebound, and have enough space to really let it come off the wall back to you, and you're, you're going to need like a good uh, probably twenty or thirty feet, uh, maybe even a little farther than that, maybe thirty or forty feet of of length to really make a full ground stroke swing, a topspin or a drive swing at the ball, and have it come all the way, have enough room to have it bounce, you know, come up and then come back to you. Now, if you have that much room, or actually either way, uh, whether you, you only have enough room to use compact swings, or if you have enough room to make a full swing, either way, make sure of two things. First of all, make sure you have a target, and you can use tape to do this, or you can use paint, or marker, or whatever. But but make some kind of marking on the wall, and masking tape would probably be a good way to do this without damaging the wall, or without making it permanent. But I would definitely put up, if you have enough uh, room to, uh, to, to do this, I would definitely put up a line that represents the net. And remember that the net, the net is three feet high in the middle and then tilts upwards slightly from there. Uh, so make it accurate. Make sure that, that the net is, is lower in the middle and, and kind of tilts upwards as it goes away from the center of the net. And be, uh, besides the, the net... I would also make an actual target, and I would make a, a box that's maybe a, a foot square, maybe two feet square, again with tape or some paint. And whenever you go down there to to practice, whatever type of stroke it is, make sure that you have some kind of physical target like that, something you can actually aim for and actually try to hit. Secondly, once you've got your, your target up there and, and you're practicing against the wall, give yourself some kind of objective or goal. And this is going to really help you stay focused 
and keep on task. And when I say objective or, or goal, what I'm talking about is, let's say you're doing volleys off the wall. And, and by the way, you're, you're going to want to put a volley target uh, quite a bit higher than a ground stroke target so that um, the, the ball doesn't drop and bounce on the ground before it gets back to you. But but anyway, wherever your target is, I, I would recommend doing something like trying to hit it seven times in a row or go down there and maybe to warm up, hit the target with your forehand 30 times and then hit the target with your backhand 30 times and then maybe try to hit it a certain number of times in a row and hit it with slice and with topspin and then do the volleys. And but but make sure that you have a physical target to aim for and give yourself some kind of goal. It's going to make it more fun that way. And uh, it'll keep you again, it'll keep your concentration sharp and it, 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 it will it'll keep you from wasting your time and just aimlessly just hitting the ball without really thinking about what you're doing. Now, there's three other uh, main things that you can do during the off season, but besides actually hitting balls down in your basement. First of all, you can read, and there's a lot of good tennis books out there, and you can get them on audiobook. You know, maybe you've got a, a long commute like I do, and you've got time to listen to audiobooks. That would be great. There's instructional books out there, also historical tennis books, books on mental tennis. I would definitely do that, and you can further educate yourself during the off season and make yourself a better player that way. You can also work on your fitness. This is very easy to do at home. I would get an agility ladder and maybe some resistance bands or some free weights. And you can do uh, a lot, maybe a medicine ball also would be great. And you can use a medicine ball against that wall in your basement to work on your core strength. And you can really strengthen yourself physically during the off season by, by training and, and doing some fitness work and some footwork work and that's all those are all things that you can do in your basement uh that would definitely be worth worth your time also you can listen to the podcast you can listen to the essential tennis podcast and we have over 100 episodes now and I've, i haven't actually sat down and, and done the math but i think it's like up to 60 or 70 hours of tennis instruction and that's a lot and that's another way that you can spend your time and another use of your time that can actually improve you and believe it or not and I, it kind of surprised me myself but you can actually make your game better by listening to this show so go to the archives and every episode is listed in the archives at essentialtennis.com all you have to do is sign up for the the free newsletter and you can download every show and listen to them there so in case you didn't know that go ahead and check that out as well so hopefully that gives you some ideas, Matt, and I'll go ahead and go to your, your next question. Matt wrote and said, when I practice with my playing partner, I seem to strike the ball well, and we can get into some pretty good rallies. But when it comes time to play, all my work seems to go out the window. How do I transfer my practice into my game? Well, Matt, this is a very, very common mental, mental toughness problem something that I would actually say every player deals with, at least at one point or another. It's definitely something that I have dealt with. And when I was playing in college, I didn't really deal with this problem in high school, but I, I did in college quite a lot where I would go out and 
I, I know totally what you mean. Totally what you mean. It, it would be like I was a completely different person and different player. All of a sudden, all my confidence would go away, and I, I would just be kind of tight and tentative, or I would go out and, and overhit and, and be too aggressive and, and beat myself. And it was difficult for me to transfer the skills that I had in practice over to the competition court. So I, I totally know what you're talking about. And so don't feel like you're alone with this at all. Now, what I want you to do, and I'm going to go back to the podcast archives again. David Grumping is a mental tennis expert. He's a mental coach, mental toughness coach. He actually trains several listeners of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and he has done several shows with me. And I'm not sure if you've listened to these already or not, Matt, but we, we have discussed and answered basically this exact same question several times on the podcast. And so I want you to go download all of the shows that I've done with him. And I, I think he and I have done five episodes now together just answering listener questions having to do with mental toughness and mental tennis. And they're very, very good episodes. And again, we discussed this exact problem. Um, all you need to do is sign up for the archives, go to the podcast archives page, open up the the archives, and then do a search for that page, uh, do a text search, and just search for David, and you'll be able to, to go directly to those shows. And I, again, I believe there's five. So download all five of those shows that I've done with David and listen to them. Um, I'm not going to go into detail on the answers to that question here because we've already discussed it before. And not only that, but he does a, a much better job of, of explaining this than I do. However, I will tell you, Matt, that one of the biggest things to do is to continue practice, uh, continue to practice competing as often as possible. You not only need to spend time practicing your strokes in a purely practice situation where there's nothing on the line, there's nothing at stake, there's no pressure, and you can swing freely and not worry about losing a point or losing a game or losing a match or losing to your friend that you've never lost to before, all these different uh, mental anxieties. It's easy to do it when there's nothing on the line. But you you need to not only do that where there's no pressure, but you need to practice competing as well, and you need to do it as often as possible. Practice whatever your A game is in competition and set this up on purpose with your practice partner and even put something on the line to even make it better practice. Bets, you know, uh, whoever buys Gatorade, when whoever uh, loses has to buy Gatorade a- after the practice session or has to buy dinner that night or whatever or put five bucks on the line or, or something. Um, I'm not condoning gambling really, but put put something on the line where there's actually some pressure and make it something that, that you really want to win and you don't want to lose. And then go out and practice playing your game confidently and do it again and again and again. And you might lose these matches sometimes, but that's part of the game. You're, you're going to lose sometimes. But do something to put pressure on yourself and then be purposeful about practicing playing confidently if you the more times you can do that the more used to competition you'll get and the better and better of a competitor you will be so that's uh my quick answer but again go download the podcast with david grumping listen to those and that's really going to be the most help for you 
Well, Matt, thanks very much for your questions. I appreciate it. Hopefully my answers give you some stuff to work on and, and good luck training in the training in the off season. And good question, by the way, it's great to see people out there who are passionate enough about the sport that even though they don't have a club membership, still want to do something to improve their game. So it's great to see that, Matt, and, and keep up the good work. Let me know how you're doing. All right, that does it for today's show, the Essential Tennis Podcast, episode number 102. Thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate it very much. And just one more thing I want to talk to you guys about before we wrap up. I And first of all, I, I wanted to do a, another answer here, but looking through my next couple questions that are in line, they're, they're definitely going to take some time to, to go through. And we just have a couple minutes left during the regular show time, so I'm going to save those for later. But I want to tell you guys about something that myself and Will from FuzzyYellowBalls.com are going to be doing together, and it's going to be upcoming during the Australian Open Final, which is going to be the 31st, and it's obviously a really early match time here in the U.S. I think here on, on East Coast, it is something like 3 o'clock in the morning, but he and I are going to be doing a live broadcast during the Australian Open Final, and we're going to be doing commentary throughout the entire Australian Open Finals match, the, the men's finals match, on early on Sunday morning, the, the 31st, here in the U.S. So keep your eyes open for that. It's something that I think is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be inter- interacting with viewers live and answering questions and reading your guys' comments during the broadcast. I, I think it's going to be something that's going to be a lot of fun for everybody. So keep your eyes open for information on that. I can't tell you guys where to go exactly yet, but if you are either subscribed to the newsletter at Essential Tennis or if you're following Essential Tennis on Facebook at facebook.com slash essential tennis or if you are uh, um, getting my Twitter feed at twitter.com slash essential tennis, all three of those ways you'll be able to get information. I'll, I'll definitely be sending out links and, and letting you guys know where to go. But just be aware of that and, and keep your eyes open. And I, I'm looking forward very much to, to doing that. I, I think it's going to be a fun experience. All right. Well, that does it for this week's show. Thanks again, everybody, for downloading and listening. Take care and good luck with your tennis. 